everybody. This is Read, Watch, Play. I'm Cleo. I'm James. I'm Caroline. And I'm Justin. And on this episode, we'll be talking about The Martian by Andy Weir. So this novel is about an astronaut named Mark Watney, who a mission that he's on kind of goes awry. He becomes stranded on Mars and is the only person on Mars and has to um, become extra resourceful to stay alive. And does anybody else want to kind of talk about what this book is about? Yeah, I feel like kind of the the elevator pitch for this that I had heard before we started was it's it's Robinson Crusoe in space. You know, it's kind of the classic just stranded somewhere Ed survival story, except done on Mars as science fiction instead of kind of a, an old adventure kind of thing. Yeah. And even though it is science fiction, it does take place. It could take place today. They never, I don't think, did they ever say a specific date, right? Yeah, I don't think Not so. I can recall. Yeah, and they don't ever say a specific year, but um, you don't have like super advanced technology that's much different from what we have now. Um, the research was incredible for this novel. Um, yeah. The facts that the character Mark Watney kind of spews out about like his surroundings and all the tech that he has to deal with. Yeah. Uh, not, I didn't, I definitely did not understand all of it or like <laughs> a lot of it. Most of it like went over my head, but I really appreciated it being there. It definitely gave it a sense of realism. Yeah. It, the, the author kind of talks a lot. There's at least in the, in the edition that I had, there's kind of a lot of extra stuff in the back interviews with, with weird and things like that. And um, he talks a lot about how the, the mission that he describes in this he expects to be not dissimilar from the first manned Mars missions if those happen. It's, you know, it's, it is a lot of research into ways that actual, like, people at NASA and teams at NASA are saying, well, if we were to go to Mars, here's how we'd do it. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it does... If that feeling of realism was, I think, something that I appreciated in it more than just about anything else was that, like, it didn't... I mean, it is science fiction, but it, of all the science fiction that I've ever read, it doesn't really feel like it... Like, it feels like something that could be happening next week. NASA could announce this mission. Yeah. I mean, the mission that comes before this mission. Yeah. Yeah. This is several missions, Mars missions in, right? This is not not the first. I can't remember which number it is. I think it was the fourth. It was the third or the fourth. Yeah. The next one. I think the next one might have been the fourth. Yeah, I think that it's Aries 3. Now that you've said it, it sounds right in my head. Um, But yeah, so, yeah, which is kind of a neat place to start from, right? It's not... This isn't that like kind of bold step beyond first time to Mars and it all goes wrong. This is, if not quite routine, still, you know, it's there's a system in place. It's there's an understood trajectory to Mars and it's not the the being on Mars that is surprising. It's the being stranded. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, at this point, I mean, routine isn't quite the right word. But yeah. That's how it like because it's not right. It's only the third time it's happening, but it feels very routine from the way that like. Watney sort of describes the mission and everything that, that happened yeah. for those six days they were actually there. Um, yeah, this is definitely not Solaris, where it takes place in the far future, or, you know, in a future where the technology is kind of unrecognizable in a lot right. of ways. It feels very present. Um, yeah, I think that's what, it's something that makes this book really accessible, and that's that's what I had been trying to remember to say, was that... Uh, like I love sci-fi and I read a lot of hard sci-fi and like distant future stuff and interstellar travel and all kinds of, and all kinds of that. And I, I adore it. It's one of my favorite genres and this is definitely science fiction, Hmm. but 
it's it's really just like a, a work of of speculative fiction that you know could be taking place in about ten years, and that is what I think would make it something appealing to a lot more people than the typical sci-fi that I read. Yeah, which I think is one of the reasons why um, they made it into a movie. Because it's very, yeah, you don't have to be a hardcore sci-fi fan to enjoy it. I think it's, it doesn't read like traditional sci-fi Mm-mm. very much. The tone is also very accessible. Um, the most, a lot of it is told in the first person um, point of view. The main character also, we should talk about Mark Watney a little. He's this kind of a smart ass astronaut guy who's a little bit of a, like he, he, we were talking about this earlier before we recorded, but he's a little cheeky, but he's overall like a good guy. Um, he's just, again, like I said, a smart ass. And so he'll like talk back to people. And he, I guess also when you're stranded on Mars, you kind of stop caring so much about people. Yeah. I mean, he, he talks back to people who like, he's imagining what people would be saying to the things that he's saying and reacting to that accordingly, which just like lets the sarcasm spiral out of control, but never in like a, I don't know. It's never in a bad way. Like I never, I didn't leave this book. Yeah. I never, I didn't leave this book having like a, like a negative opinion of Mark Watney. Like, I mean, I love him as a character. He's the kind of guy I would want to go have a beer with. Yeah. I mean, sure. he's, I like sarcastic characters like that, especially in a first person book. And then I re- listen, you also listen to the there, uh, the audiobook, right? Yeah. Entirely this time. Yeah. It's the first book that I've ever straight up just listened to the audiobook beginning to end. Okay. Yeah. So I also listened to the audiobook and the narrator whose name I'm blanking on right now, uh, was amazing. He goes into like sing song voice at times, which is funny. And it's, I like his interpretation of the character and the text. Although some parts, well, I guess, spoiler. But like, yeah, at some points it was kind of hard to understand what was going on. Because sometimes with heavy technical stuff, um, it's good to reread a section if you didn't understand it. But uh, when you're listening to the audiobook, I mean, you do have the option to go back at like 15 seconds and re-listen to it. But it still sometimes just went over my head because I'd be like, I don't know what just mm-hmm. happened to his hab. Oh, interesting. So what I didn't know, uh, the version, did you listen to the audible, audible audiobook? Yes. So what I didn't know, cause I mean, I just went in and, and I just bought them all and I, I started like, I bought the Kindle edition, I bought the audiobook, and I just started listening. Um, what I didn't know was that the audiobook was re-recorded, uh, by RC Bray or re-performed by RC Bray. And it was, in order to match the second edition of the book. So he, the book was self-published as like a Kindle single or Kindle select or whatever that like okay. platform is back in 2011. Even before that, didn't you just have it up like for free on his website? That I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think that that's how it started. And then you're just like, oh yeah, I'll do it as a Kindle thing. And then. So that, that happened. And yeah. then it got picked up by Random House and they republished the book in 2014. And I think that's when it got released in paperback and that was the new Kindle edition. And, and all that. And that's the audiobook that we listened to. But apparently he changed the ending between the first like read like Kindle release, the first like for profit version of the book. Interesting. And that Kindle version. So I don't know what the original ending was, but now I think we should we'll probably yeah. end up looking into that while we're all talking. Now I'm curious. I had heard that he went back and rechecked some of his facts. Um, which between I mean, the two, or just, just had gotten awesome. feedback from people um saying like, Oh, like I like I'm actually like a rocket scientist and like, here's this weird little thing that you got wrong. And you know, he said that he did like another pass through there, but I didn't, I had not heard that he had changed the ending. That's cool. How did you guys feel generally about the level of like, there's a lot of facts that are thrown at you and a lot of like very meticulous detail about 
some of the things he's doing on Mars, like tech-wise and science-wise. How did you feel about that level of detail? I mean, I appreciated it. I kind of just like let myself be immersed in it. And the stuff that I didn't like understand off the bat, I just kind of let like brush past me. You know, I tried to understand everything as best I could from context or, or whatever. But if there was like a particularly technical thing that didn't like completely make sense to me, I would just kind of let it lie and keep on rolling. Um, and that I mean, that felt a lot better than trying to because it's like if, I, if this was like this is framed as being like for the most part, at least a, most of the book. And, and I think the entire first third or maybe the first half is like all just Watney like leaving like an audio journal. Right. And so like, if this was a real thing that happened 40, 50 years from now and, and his audio journals got released as like a book, I, if I was like reading or listening to that, I wouldn't be stopping every so often to like investigate bits of detail he was giving me. So I just kind of, I got, I used to treat it the same way. I like that it, well, it, a lot of the time I felt like he would follow up almost every really technical description with a very basic one as well. Yeah, the Star you know, Trek method. Yeah, exactly. Or it would just be like, you know, oh, like I did this and you would describe like a relatively technical process, supposedly. And then you would just, it's like, like, or in other words, like I built a ramp out of rocks. Yeah. You know, and it was always enough to get you to, if you were interested in like the physics or chemistry of what was happening, um, there was always enough information there for you to kind of get the gist of, you know, changing various things into, say, water or nitrogen or whatever he needed or ways to pull those elements out from other uh, molecules. But um, all of those were followed up by, basically, I needed hydrogen, and there's hydrogen in water. So I turned a bunch of my water into hydrogen, and that's what you need to know, um, which is always kind of nice. And I think it really facilitates that. Like, if you want to think about the chemistry or the physics, you can. Yeah. But it, it makes it really easy to just keep on rolling because you also, there's, there's the, if you're interested in the science, you know, here you go. If you just want to keep rolling and get the gist that I'm, you know, I this needed water and I do. had a bunch of hydrogen and oxygen and here's how you do that. Right. Cool. Got it. Had hydrogen, had oxygen, made water. Yeah, I was overall like really impressed because it's a really, that's kind of a hard thing to do to make technical details sound interesting. Yeah. Um, and a lot of sci-fi gets that wrong. Oh, yeah. Like, so like I, there'll be pages of technical description in certain, especially hard sci-fi, right? Yeah. And I'll really be interested in it and want to understand it. And at first, and then eventually I'm like, I do not give a shit anymore. Like, just get this. <laughs> just it's like kind of like Castle of Elrond, where I'm like, can I skip this chapter? Like, I know this is like important lore, but like, please make let's it stop. Just, let's just fellowship and, and move on. Yeah. So I was really like, I was never like, there were times where I was kind of like, okay, maybe we could dial it down like a notch, maybe um, just to make it a little snappier. Mm -hmm. But I never got, had, got to a point where I was like, oh my God, like, please let this like paragraph just be over. Yeah. And that's, I think he was very good at pacing it all. Like right when I might start to feel that a particular section was dragging, it would be done. Yeah. At, at the worst. Yeah. Um, so and from the sound of it, everyone was pretty, pretty positive about this book. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was really well written. I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I just said, you know, I thought it was paced perfectly. Hmm. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I don't really have, any qualms with it to be entirely honest how about you Cleo yeah I mean I was excited to read this because um someone I'd played Lifeline which is like an iPhone game basically I think I actually was 
it's made for like the iWatch or whatever, but um, I played on iPhone. And it's very similar in premise where there was an astronaut who is stranded like on a on a moon of some sort. And it, they're like the sole survivor of a situation. So they're like the only person there, right. which is unlike this, where he was left for dead. Um, yeah, his crew thinks that he's dead. And that's why they leave him there. Um, and it was, again, like the main character has a very like sarcastic tone. And someone pointed out, oh, wow, this is very similar to The Martian. Um, and so I was really looking forward to reading this because I enjoyed that game a lot. And I definitely see the similarities. So if you like The Martian um, and you like kind of like text-based iPhone games, I definitely say give Lifeline a shot. I'm downloading it right now. I just think you're like you're like Mission Control, right? And that and the the astronaut is like sending you back things, yeah. and they're saying like, "What do I do here?" And you, yeah, yeah. So I like your yeah that. your role is, is you're like you as a character are kind of un, like unclear, mm-hmm. but you have this character Taylor who's like. Gender is ambiguous, which I really liked. Also, saying like, "Oh, like I could try to make it to this crash site, or I could like try to sleep for the night. Like, what should I do? Am I gonna die of radiation poisoning?" And this reminded me of that because Mark Watney, the character, has to make all these decisions, but he doesn't have anyone communicating with him, telling him what to do. He has to make the decisions for himself. So it's kind of interesting comparison. That's you know, um, the ambiguous gender reminded me that uh, I, I think I really appreciated that the Martian was as diverse as it was. I feel like it's really easy for sci-fi to just sort of like fall into being a book full of white people. Yeah. Um, like a book that I'm reading right now is, is like has that problem. Like just, uh, it's so bad. Yeah. And that like in this, right? Like sure. Mark Watney is, is like a white dude astronaut and he is the main character of the book, but like the leader of their mission is a woman. Their tech experts, a woman, their pilot is a Hispanic guy. The like main character um, once you end up on the like getting the story on like Earth side is is an Indian guy, right? And it's just it's like yeah, you have the giant you have a lot of Asian characters, as well. right? East then, Asian characters yeah. as well. And then there's um like the the you know the press secretary for for NASA and this is is a woman, and it's just like there's like it feels like a like a real situation, not just like full of white dudes and maybe like two women, and that would be it. Yeah, kind of token characters. And, yeah. yeah. And all the characters are very, they have different voices, I felt, which is, again, a sci-fi. A lot of times characters all end up having very similar tones and, like, everything they say. It sounds like the dialogue could be interchanged between anyone. This was, they, every character had a very distinct voice, which I really, really appreciated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, certainly a fun book. I feel like, yeah, I, I, I agree. I liked it a lot. I had a really good time with it. I It was interesting. It was I also agree that it was very well paced. There were, yeah, maybe a, a handful of times where I felt like something was dragging or not happening, um, and then just that would be done. And you know, this is even coming from someone who just really liked the bit where he talked about how he was going to grow potatoes on Mars. I loved that. I thought that was really cool. But um, yeah, where it's something like that, where it's you know, it it would hit a point, and you'd be like, all right, I'm about ready for this to be done, and then it would be done, literally. A page later. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. It was very, very well paced, very snappy. All right. Um, so I think I think it's a resounding recommendation from from Read Watch Play. Absolutely. Uh, everybody listening should pick this pick this up and give it a read. It's not very long. It is not. Um, it clocks in uh, between three fifty and four hundred pages, right? It's about like three eighty or so. I yeah. Think. Something like that. And it goes fast. Yeah. It's it's a short three hundred and fifty pages. It's you're you're going right through it. There's it's it's also, this sounds more negative than I mean it to be, but it's, it's kind of shallow. Like it's not, 
there's not a whole lot of like extra depth to the book. It's very like what you see is what you get. Yeah, you know, it's, you're, it's definitely you're reading for the story. It's entertaining, right? It's yeah. not it's not exploring larger themes. There's not like you know crazy yeah. metaphors of of you know the point it's, of humanity or the meaning of life or existentialism, yeah. like existential crisis that Mark Watney's going through, which all could have like easily happened and is very very common stuff in sci-fi. But sure. like I I kind of appreciate that that wasn't there in this. Like I think I this this was a very entertaining book. That I mean you you know it's uh, Mark Weir's written or Andy Weir's written a couple of other things. Um, not that I've read, but it's, you know, it, I feel like if he had tried to tackle that stuff in here, the story probably would have suffered for it. I completely agree. One of my favorite things about this book is that it doesn't go for more than that. It, it does what it does and it does that very, very well. But Justin, were you the one who recommended this book this time around? Uh, yeah. Uh, straight up. I like we, the, the day before we all settled on who was picking what and, uh, and we're making our decisions. I had gone to see Caroline. What what was the movie we saw on IMAX before? Jurassic World. Jurassic World. Yeah. So I had gone to see Jurassic World with Caroline and a bunch of our friends, and there was a trailer for The Martian, and I was like, "Oh right, that's a thing." Also, that's a book. Also, I really wanted to read that. I completely forgot. Like I had just completely forgotten about it, and the trailer kickstarted my my memory. And then we were talking about it the next day, and we we're like, "All right, so Justin's picking the book," and I was like, "Great, let's read The Martian." And I'm really glad it happened that way. I'm extra excited for the movie now. Yeah. Caroline, do you know any th- interesting things about the movie? Since I know you're a movie, big movie. Um, I actually don't know too much about the movie. I have literally, I've seen the trailer twice, I think now. Uh, once in front of Jurassic World and once in front of Ant-Man. Mm-mm. Another IMAX movie we saw. <laughs> maybe it was Ant-Man, maybe it wasn't. It wasn't Ant-Man, apparently. <laughs> Um, so I've only seen the trailer twice and it looks interesting, but, uh, I don't know. I'll be interested to see how it's received since gravity has been so recent. I don't know. I feel like sometimes space movies are hit or miss. Yeah. The trailer is one of those things where I feel like it gives away a lot of the story. Like you see the trailer and you'll know pretty much the course of the book as well. Yeah. I will say that's one thing. Like I kind of wish I hadn't seen the trailer. I had been reminded otherwise because like the whole I mean, we're, we're going to dive into spoiler territory here, I guess, if you haven't seen the trailer. Um, so we should uh, probably put our put our formal cutoff in right here. Um, we're, we'll start. Yeah, well, now we are going to be officially delving into spoiler territory. Um, wait, so wait, next, wait. Yeah, yeah, for the next. So but, before yeah. we do spoilers. Wait. So for next month, we're, we're reading Armada by Ernest Klein. I'm saying this because I picked it out kind of, sort of. Okay, so I technically picked this out. I'm not um, much of a reader, so I had some assistance. But we are reading um, Armada by Ernie Klein. Is it Ernie? Ernest? Ernest. Ernie. I'm sure his friends call him Ernie. We're buds. I call him Ernie sometimes. (laughs) Um, Which uh, he wrote Ready Player One, which is going to be a Spielberg movie. It's been optioned by Warner Brothers. Um, So he's kind of a big deal. But this is his second book. It's not Ready Player One. It's the one that just came out recently. It's called Armada. Armada, Ernest Klein. I call him Ernie sometimes when we hang out. We should find something that's not sci-fi to read after that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll work on it. We're doubling Maybe. down. Yeah. Next time I pick a book, I'm going to go for some classic chiclet, and you guys all have to talk about it with me. I'm going to be really pumped, and I'm going to not feel guilty at all. Good. You shouldn't. <laughs> that's good. That'd be fun. I'd do that. Okay. I'm, I'm down. Next book I pick, it's happening. All right. So with that said... Um, into spoilers for 
The Martian. Um, if you're jumping out here, thank you so much for listening. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll see you next month if you're sticking around. Um, so we were talking about the trailer. <laughs> yeah. If you're sticking around, go get a drink, <laughs> come back, press play again. All right. Uh, so yeah, we're the trailer like killed. The main thing that, that it killed for me is the idea, uh, the whole insubordination thing, right? Like the, the big crux of the book is they attempt one rescue or like one, like one rescue thing. They were sending him extra supplies to get him through until the next Ares mission was going to land. Right. And that fails. And so we go from that to uh, his crew uh, that was with him on Ares 3 is on their way back to Earth, and they finally are told that he's alive. And then shortly after that, um, some random... Te- do we ever... Like, what does this guy do? I can't remember his name. Everyone hates him, He was him like a though, one-off right? character. Yeah. He's like very... He's very antisocial. He's very... Um, He's like, I can uh, be difficult, but you have to tell me that I'm being difficult because I won't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, he's, he's like, he's, he's mildly, mildly autistic and, and like very aware of, of like his shortcomings and his issues. I, I mean, I actually really liked him as a character. I can't remember his name now. Um, but he was just like, as soon as this happened, whatever job that I think he worked somewhere within NASA. Oh de- yeah. Um, he was a NASA employee. I think his job was plotting courses. That's right. Yeah. So he, that was like straight up was his job was, yeah. was plotting. All the, and the moment uh, this, like, you know, the, the first, the rescue attempt failed. He started planning out this sort of maneuver that they could do, um, where they could resupply the ship that the Ares team was on, which is that Hermes? I think it's yes. Hermes. The, the ship that they're using was to get back to Earth. Mitch or Rich or something? Like, yeah. Cause it was I, like, it was, they named the maneuver after him, right? Like the Rich Powell or something. It's something like that. There's another character who's also named Mitch, okay. but I think that I it think might I'm, be, it might be like Richard Powell. It's okay. yeah, it's something like so that. So there's a Rich and there's a Mitch and I get confused. Yeah. I think there are this, there is a huge ensemble cast in this book. Uh, so the, I mean, the fact that he pulls that off is just another reason yeah. I enjoyed it so well. But so they, there's this whole big moment, uh, where there's like the, the captain, uh, is giving like a speech more or less to, to the rest of the crew. Right. And she's saying that, um, you know, this is insubordination. Like if, and then it's like, if we, if we, you know, make a misstep, we die. If, if this thing goes wrong, Mark dies. If this thing goes wrong, we all die. If, if this goes wrong, we make it back to earth and we, you know, we get court court martialed and we spend the rest of our lives in jail. And that like scene is in the trailer. It's like cut oh. over like other stuff. But that speech is is like the voiceover for like the middle third of the trailer. Yeah. That's unfortunate. And so it's just like it's I mean, it's a great trailer. Like it makes me it made me really want to see the movie. It's a really good trailer. It's super spoilery and kind of unfortunate. That's too bad. Yeah, the point at which I had watched, because I was still towards the beginning of the book when I decided to take a look at the trailer, Mm -hmm. um, and I hadn't gotten out of the territory where it was just Mark Watney speaking, so I thought the entire book was going to be from his point of view, just him, and I was, like, really curious, like, how are we going to pull off, like, this many pages of one guy alone on Mars, like, dealing with his shit, Um, and then I saw the trailer, I was like, wait, there are other people, (laughs) like, wait, now we're going to see, like, all these other people's experiences with the same story like trying to save Mark. And I was like, okay, well now I know how this entire book is going to go pretty much for the most right. part. So yeah, if, if you, yeah, I don't know. I, the trailer, the trailers often do that, I guess, where they give away a lot a more than they much, probably yeah. should. 
the the Terminator Genesis debacle comes to mind, but we can talk about yeah, that, that another was... time. But it, I feel like it's almost too bad though, because it's one thing when the trailer just goes ahead and ruins its own movie. Yeah. But when that movie is itself based on a book, and then you've got this trailer that's kind of flying around, and it's, I don't know, it seems kind of weird, but like it's, it's like seeing a trailer for like a scary movie in front of a not scary movie. And you're sitting there and you're saying maybe you don't like scary movies and then you're upset because then you had to watch the trailer or something. Right. But to get something like that where it's just like you go to see Jurassic World and say you're reading The Martian or you want to read The Martian and you see the trailer for The Martian expecting it to, you know, not give away crucial plot points. Right. And then suddenly it's just like, oh, hey, yeah, you're here. You wanted to see this other movie. Here's what happens in like the middle to back half of the book that you're reading right now. I mean, that's just trailers nowadays, though. I mean, this is, like, a whole separate conversation to have, but, like, trailers for movies in the past, like, five years... Have gotten so much worse. ...are just terrible. They just give away everything. The trailers have gotten better, but in doing so, like, they've just been so liberal with what they'll use. Like, I think trailers themselves are much more interesting, but they're more interesting because they're using so much yeah, of the movie. It's, it's the this movie, like awful double edged sword minute version. It's more concise. It's more fun. I can watch it more times without being bored. Yeah. Sorry. Whole, whole different topic. Yeah. I just totally skewed the conversation. So I apologize. But yeah, it, it is too bad though. When it, it's one thing when you do that for the movie that you're advertising, right. it's another thing when by doing that for your movie, you also, you also for, spoil this book, yeah. but I got it easy. I've not seen the trailer yet. Don't don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> now I well, I was gonna say I guess now you can watch it. Yeah, exactly. I have a moral ethical question that kind of came up. It's addressed Ooh. in the book, right. um, Ooh, but it was morals. something that I've been thinking a lot about recently. This is brought up when they're discussing ways to save Mark Watney when like NASA discovers that he's still alive, and they're talking about how much everything is going to cost to put together. Um, like the pro or like the 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 boosters and right. or what, like they're the trying like to get the first attempt where they're putting together like a yeah. small probe and then there's the question that comes up with like how much is too much and there is that thing where like so millions maybe billions of dollars are going to save one man who's on mars and like what could that money be doing to save like other lives potentially right and i mean think if i remember this right the, the rationale is what i mean one it's you know it's to save a person like that. The, the, the motivation there is like enough, right. For a lot of people, it's like, it doesn't matter what we spend. This is an astronaut. We sent him there. We can get him back. We should spare no expense and we should get him. The other, I think, and the other thing it's touched on in the book is that like, you can't get better PR than this, right? Like in the context of this story, it's the only thing that the news cares about is Mark Watney. Like once they know that he's alive and once they know that NASA is communicating they're like CNN is doing like, like every single recurring daily show they have covers Watney. They have special break-ins covering Watney. It's just like, it's the only thing that the news networks are talking about and saving him becomes this huge PR boon for NASA and becomes this thing where like it could be, it, you know, it could become as large as it once was when we were trying to get to the moon. And it, it could be this, you know, juggernaut again because of this like outpouring of like appreciation, I guess almost for like what NASA is and does. So I'm, I guess my big thing for the, the argument in general, which is an argument that I've had before, too, it's that, uh, like, honestly, at the rate we're going and the rate things are changing and the rate they can change, this planet is probably beyond saving. Um, and, 
like the idea that we could be spending the hundreds of millions of dollars that are going to like our space program and be be using that for for certain domestic programs or, or for for social programs and that kind of stuff is valid. But the amount of money that goes to the space program in terms of the national budget is such a small percentage of all of the other things that we do that we don't need yeah. to do. Like if we didn't spend the same amount of money on our military as the next 30 countries on the list and spent some of that money on social programs, we could spend even more money on the space program. We could already have manned missions going to other places. Like it's, it's a valid argument when you're, when you're juxtaposing like spending money on our own country and infrastructure versus spending money on space. But when you consider everything our country spends money on, it's almost an asinine argument. It's funny. Cause something that you just mentioned or me, of something that one of my film school friends had said about interstellar, which was, which is, you know, interstellar, the basic premise being that earth is fucked. Um, basically we're in another dust bowl. Right? I forgot that interstellar even happened. I'm com- here comparing the Martian movie to gravity, which was like two years ago and interstellar like just happened. Like, like back in ago. November. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably closer to gravity though. Yeah. Cause it's, interstellar so, yeah, the general was being stranded. Together. That's true. Yeah. But um, still, yeah. And I had a film school friend who hated this idea about um like, like earth is gone NASA we should we should just leave and find somewhere else to go because earth, earth is fucked like we should work to save the earth instead and he thought that was like irresponsible storytelling oh my god he's he'll never listen to this this is fine um <laughs> <laughs> and if he does even better and if he does yeah yes, fuck you Send us an email. <laughs> <laughs> um outline your points maybe yeah join the conversation i'm i'm like a i, I, I guess futurist is the right word Right. Like I am obsessed with the future. I would love to be able to just like, like hit cryo and spend 50 years in cryo and spend six months like awake and then spend another 50 years in cryo and just be able to see where, where things go. But like, we are going to need to leave this planet. It's an inevitability, whether it's population or, or us destroying the environment, we're going to hit like critical mass. But what we need to do is focus our, like, I think especially at this point in time, we should focus our efforts like heavily on being able to leave and being able to colonize other places. And the effort focused on like saving this planet should be focused on preserving it in a livable state for as long as is necessary for us to start colonizing the rest of the, as much of space as we would be colonizing. What about you guys? What do you, how do you, y'all feel? This is really heavy. Yeah, we and I, we were, I'm, I've guided us into deep territory. I, yeah. I prefer not to think about the end of the world on a daily basis. However, when I do think about it, um, I do agree, I guess, with Justin, although I don't think I'd call myself a futurist. I do think that, like, it's valuable to start thinking about other planets as options for living. Like, because if you just think about, like, the history of space. If you like imagine yourself as Neil deGrasse Tyson, basically you're NDT for a day and you're thinking about space. I do that on a daily basis. I am always, always pretending I'm him. And you're thinking about space and time. You think about like other planets and their life cycles. Like inevitably this is going to happen to earth too. Like you said, it might not be because of humanity, but it almost certainly will be. And yeah, I don't know. I want everyone to live. I want I want everyone to have a great chance of living. Like I don't want to tell someone your life is not worth, you know, not spending this money on, you know, going to Mars or whatever. Right. That's dumb. But 
Meh, I don't know. Well, <laughs> I'm just rambling. <laughs> the tricky thing, right, is that you could make the argument that any expenditure is not worth it if you just put it up against some other thing. Right. It's like, oh, we could spend $10 million developing the next probe to go to Mars to determine, like, if we could build a habitat, or we could give that $10 million to, like, 100,000 families and they would be able to, like, you know, live normally. You know, that would be their, like, you know, we could put that into the the welfare program or whatever. It's like, it could help X amount of people. It's like, once you quantify it that way, almost nobody is going to want to take the large sum of money and put it toward the thing that we need as a a species. I just don't see the, um, like, leaving the Earth thing as such an immediate, urgent matter. So, like, for right now, I don't think allocating a whole lot of time and effort to that is very important i guess yeah and for, I, for this moment and that's um i agree with that to an extent my only counter i guess is that um the problem with it is that we su- will subscribe to that point of view and hold it until we like hit and pass the point of no return and then it becomes and then pass and then the world the becomes no interstellar return. Where we're pouring all of our, <laughs> where we're pouring all of our resources into like developing a way to get out of here as quickly as humanly possible, and maybe we only send like eighty people off the planet yeah, because that's then, all we have the time then to. Then we can send Ben Affleck to go hit an asteroid, and everyone will be fine. So the Martian. So <laughs> so sorry. Heavy conversation about the future of humanity aside. Yeah. Thanks, Cleo. I'm sorry. Thanks for that. Yeah. No, that's I. I took the bait. I'm sorry. That is one of my favorite things in the world to talk Depressing about. Depressing thoughts of the day. Well, it's just it's interesting because like Mars is very topical right now. We had the whole Mars One thing right yeah. going on. It's and, still um, going. So, what are your thoughts on the Martian, James? Um. Well, I. I, I guess. Go ahead. Never mind. Never mind. I was saying, we really kind of touched on it in the the general things. I I did think it was really good. I it, we did talk about it a bit earlier, but I genuinely think that one of the best parts about this book is that it it knows exactly what it is and it just does that, and it it alludes to larger things, but at no point does it make those like the idea for the story. You know, you see, you do see like Earth come together, and the entire subplot with um, the Chinese space program where they're willing to sacrifice this probe that they've poured a huge amount of money and a big group of scientists has like poured their lives into and that they're willing to trade that for it's like a, a seat on Ares 5 um but mainly for helping Watney and this sense of you know as that goes on just the fact that every time you see one of the Chinese scientists, they make very explicit, like, we are not going to get a chance to do this again. The government was already cagey about giving us this amount of money once, and it's not going to happen a second time. And this thing that we did all of our work on, and it was meant to be like a probe to Venus or something. Like, it was a whole separate mission that would have just been theirs, and that they're willing to give that to help this person for ultimately a pretty minimal thing. Yeah. Um, that's just it. They're not, they're not giving it up for now. They're, they're giving it up entirely. Forever. Yeah. yeah. Get a chance to do it again. And it's like when they have, like they have the initial conversation with the two like Chinese, uh, like scientists mm-hmm. who work for that space program. And they're talking about what they would be giving up. And it's like, well, yeah, but we can get Martians on Aries five or we can get Martians. We can get, uh, astronauts on, you know, in the Aries five mission. It's going to be great. Our government's going to love it. Their government's going to love it. We're going to love it. The Americans are going to love it. It's going to be great. Yeah. 
yeah. and then like they come back to it later and it's just like this really like like very sad moment where he's just sort of outlining it's like yeah like we're giving this up we're never going to be able to get it back you know i've spent the last however many years of my life pouring into this program and doing everything I can and looking forward to spending the rest, you know, X amount of years of my life researching everything that we get coming out of Venus. And I'm giving all of this up just to save one guy. Yeah. And just having that kind of thing happen, just having people come together just as people to help someone or kind of contribute to this cause. It's, it's never so like overt that you feel like this was the point of the book, but it's, it's a nice thing to see. I think it's a really nice just kind of layer to that. And when you come back to Earth and you do see all these kind of disparate groups working together and like even when there is conflict there and and it all comes down to what is the best way to help somebody, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is really nice. And it, I don't know, you, the best sci-fi tends to be the sci-fi that doesn't just kind of fall into easy ways to create tension and conflict. And we'd been talking about like uh, Ursula K. Le Guin earlier. Mm-hmm. I think she's particularly good at this where, um, a lot of other sci-fi just kind of sort, it tends to be really interesting until it just sort of like degenerates into combat or violence or a war or something like that, which is not to say that those things can't be good. Um, but they're common. And exactly. They're, you know, they're, they're not, easy. They're not unique. It's easy. Yeah, they're easy. easy is a great word for it. Um, and I think authors like Le Guin tend to be really good at avoiding that, um, or at least drawing out that part before that as long as she can. Um, I think that this is like a real prime example of that, is that he, he does kind of avoid the, the easy way out, even if, I don't know, I actually, I'd like to hear from everyone about this, but, uh, I would say after about a hundred pages, I was no longer trying to figure out whether or not Watney would survive. Like after about a hundred pages in, I was like, okay, no, this, this is going to work. It's just it, whenever anything would happen, it was less of a like, oh no, like the, the airlock blew off the hab. Is he going to be okay? It was, oh no, the airlock blew off the hab. What's he going to do about that? That'll be fun. Like, I, I had kind of stopped feeling that kind of tension of, like, worry for his safety. Like, I, I don't know if that was just me, but it, it hit that point where it felt like the narrative wasn't going to end with some, like, tragic, sad moment. That that wasn't what the story was. Yeah, no, I definitely got that sense as well. Where I felt I felt safe. I felt a little bit more secure. Yeah. Especially nowadays where it's very popular to kill off characters, like, left and right. Uh <laughs> Yeah. in various different fictional pieces. It's nice to have that feeling of like, okay, I just really know that this is going to turn out all right at the end. It's kind of nice to have that feeling and then have it turn out to be true because being devastated all the time. Sure. It's nice with a twist occasionally, but it's, it's stopped making a point a while ago. I think just for yeah. the sake of making a point of like, no one's safe all the time spaces. And they keep saying that's the like catchphrase in the book, right? Space is dangerous. Yeah. NASA, everyone who works at NASA keeps saying that. And that's why they take all these crazy risks to save this one guy. Um, and I think also well, one of the reasons this book might be so popular is that we have a fascination, a little bit of a morbid fascination with the dangers of space because it's so, it's still so new to us, like sure. space exploration. Right. And we had, you know, the challenger and Columbia disasters and that was just so like, everyone felt very helpless. Like there was nothing anyone felt like they could do at the time. 
Um, Because, I mean, I think both of those incidents happened very fast. And then here's something. Guy is stranded on Mars. Seemingly impossible situation. But he's alive and he finds a way to survive with the help of other people. And it's just... It's kind of like almost like a wishful thinking thing, right? I guess for me, I have the. I tend to assume that that uh, you know a primary character isn't going to die, especially in. I guess when you take the Martian in context of the kind of thing where, I wasn't, like willing to accept that he might die, especially with a large amount of the book left to go. Oh, sure. Right. Like the, in this, like there are some where there's a larger more ensemble cast, like primary characters dying at any given stage is like something you could be scared for. But I guess in this, I was more like I was never it never really made me anxious while I was reading. It, it wasn't something I was actively worried about. But I, I did sort of have it in my head that really up until the end, it could have gone either way that like he could have ended up. And what I was thinking is that it wouldn't necessarily end with him dying but it would end with the like the last ditch rescue attempt failing and everyone surviving, but Mark Watney just having to like, like it ending with him still being stranded and like either, you know, ending up probably starving to death, something like that. Right. Um, I, I just have that, that issue when I'm reading most things where it's like, I'm on the hundredth page and you know, he's having X crisis happening and I'm like, well, there's 200 pages left. So he's not going to die and just keep, and I would just keep reading, right? Yeah. And I mean, it would be really interesting if if we get halfway through the book and he fucks up and and dies, and the last half of the book is entirely back on Earth, and it's entirely about people coping with that and about the fallout that NASA receives. And I mean, it could have been a you know a really interesting story from that angle. It's just not something I would expect to really happen. I guess. I would have even. I mean, it. I guess just sort of in a some like alternate version of the story it might have been really interesting to you do something like that and you find like say Watney goes and you find out that say the the stories that you've been reading from the rest of the Ares crew or the Hermes crew rather um and NASA were maybe not as in sync with the logs as we had been led to believe like as it was presented it wasn't in the same order it was being presented yeah exactly and so maybe they get there and it turns out that like Watney's been dead for a year Mm. or, you know, something like that, or like that was, that was kind of how I saw it. If, if it was going to go bad, it was going to be in that way. Right. And there are a few points where they sync up, right? Like he finds, he finds Pathfinder, which I thought was a bit gimmicky, but also fun and ended up, <laughs> and it ended up being useful and that was good. Yeah. And you know, the way that they kind of cleared that slate cause it was, you know, becoming too easy. I think that all worked fine. It made for a, a fun diversion, but, um, but that would have been my one, it, and that kind of nixed any potential for that. But um, that would have been the way where I would have said, if this is going to go wrong, that would be the way it would go. It, it wasn't going to be a, they were going to get there to the end, and he was going to be like, like in the Mav and going up, and then just it wouldn't work. Right. You know, and it started becoming more of a question of like, well, is one of the other astronauts going to die trying to bring him back in? Is this going to be someone else died for? Mark yeah, I was honest. I was half expecting like Beck, yeah, to to just end up floating out in drifting meaninglessly into space yeah. for the rest of his life. Vol right. would cut the chain and yeah, yeah. But so everyone yeah. lived. Yeah. It was very happy for a, like sci-fi. Sci-fi is usually like kind of depressing. I feel like 
Like it's yeah. not, it's, it's usually dystopian or just not optimistic. At least yeah. most of the com- more compelling sci-fi. I don't know. Yeah. Or at least just purely theoretical to the point where it's not really optimistic nor pessimistic. Yeah. Pessimistic. It's just the dispossessed. <laughs> um, but yeah. Final thoughts. Anyone else have anything to add? I think we'd all recommend it. Yeah, we already discussed that. Yeah, um, I, I mean, it's it's if you're looking for you know some some thought piece that ruminates on you know the status of humanity or the the ramifications of space exploration or or abandoning Earth or, or any of that stuff, you're not going to find it here. Yeah, but it's a great fucking book. Like I, it, yeah, it's I highly recommend it. It's a really fun piece of fiction. It's it's not poor. Like it's not. It doesn't have. I wouldn't say it necessarily has like flaws that the the fun makes up for, which is is a way I do describe some books. Like, yeah. uh, but it's it's just not deep. There's not yeah. there's not a lot of hidden meaning. There's not a lot of thematic elements that that need you know need discussion or or, or you know thoughtful yeah discussion. It's just and it also doesn't try to be any of that. Like, there's no right. pretension to it at all. It's really really nice, and which is not to say that it's not smart because i think it's a super smart book yeah it's one of the most well-researched things i've ever encountered it's astounding and Weir trusts his reader in a way that a lot of people don't like he gives you these very layman explanations of things but he also trusts you to understand those things or to roll with it like to get the gist of this is why these things work you know it's it never feels like you're being condescended to. There are a few situations where he'll like re-explain something that he had explained like a few chapters previous. And in those situations, I was like, no, like I'm, I'm reading your book. I remember how, you know, the trailer works, but you know, it's, it's okay. Like that one, I think when that's the biggest complaint I can levy, yeah, yeah, it's called that a win, but yeah, it's, it's smart. He trusts his reader. It, it's not deep, but it doesn't try to be. And it does exactly what it sets out to do in a, really really nice way yeah it i think also i mean that's not to say that i definitely after taking breaks from the book occasionally i would really think about like wow what would it be like to be the only person stuck on a planet where you're the only person like you definitely it's not like they don't address that it's just it's not like oh him being stranded on mars is a metaphor for yeah like you said earlier like justin said earlier it's not like a metaphor for like an existential crisis and it's, it's not like a Dostoevsky like thing going on. Yeah. You know, he's but, not um, trapped in hell yeah. with, with a couple of other awful people. Yeah. But yeah, so sounds like, I mean, obviously everyone's positive about it. Yeah. I, I recommend the audiobook for sure. The whatever, yeah, whatever's was, on audible, which is what I'd listen to. Yeah. It was really well done. Um, I, I, we, I'd already said his name earlier and I've already completely forgotten it, but it's, it's, it's really well executed. A lot of the stuff that, that comes out audible these days is really, really good yeah i'm interested in the movie i'll i'm yeah, very excited for the movie i'm particularly interested in seeing whether or not the things that make the book good translate well to a film because i don't think that they would but i do think the basic structure is one that could work in a film so i think it's going to have to be good for different reasons but i think it's got the potential to do that if if it gets made right yeah hopefully Hopefully this is one of Ridley Scott's more impressive. Hopefully this is more alien, less Prometheus. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, yes. Yeah, so next time um, we will be reading Armada by Ernest Klein. Hopefully you'll join us then. My good pal Ernie. Exactly. Uh, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. 
Thank you so much for listening. 